Hi, I'm Tessa Callahan, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Keel Labs. And I beat the often path by developing new materials, and in particular, fibers and yarns for textiles that are made out of seaweed. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Joining me today is Tessa Callahan, the CEO and co-founder of Keel Labs, makers of a seaweed-based yarn that they call Kelson. In case you didn't know, the textile and fashion industries are a mess, and they contribute enormous amounts of waste to our planet. Tessa and her co-founders set out to create a fully functional yarn with a significantly lower environmental footprint than conventional fibers. They're harnessing a biopolymer from kelp to achieve this, and kelp is one of the most regenerative organisms on our planet. They've raised tens of millions in funding for their concept so far, and I'm just so excited to see what comes next for them. So here's Tessa Callahan of Keel Labs. Welcome to the show, Tessa. I have to ask you a question to begin. Are we doomed? Is humanity doomed? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I certainly err on the side of optimism. And although the future is, is seemingly not uh, the most promising right now, I think that you know there's so much action that can be taken to rectify the path that we're going towards. And so I think it's really a matter of choosing the right direction that we want to go towards. And, and if we're able to do that, we have a beautiful future for so many generations to come. But it does require intention and action yesterday and today and yesterday. every single day right. going forward. So how did you get on this path where you decided to take this form of action? Yeah, it was a bit um, serendipitous, honestly. And I think it really derived from, honestly, desperation and, and necessity. So um, I didn't start off in life thinking I would be an entrepreneur. Uh, I studied design and textiles um, and had intended and was working in the fashion industry. Um, and, you know, along with my two co-founders, who are also working, you know, in adjacent fields in, in design, we're really frustrated and struggling because I think we, we went into the industry thinking we would have a lot more say uh, and a lot more ability to make change from the inside than we did, given all the attention that both new materials and sustainable innovations were having. However, that was not the case. Whether things were unaffordable, they weren't on the market yet, or, you know, we kind of found that after some experimentation, you know, especially as a knitwear designer, they weren't actually hitting the mark of what we needed to be, which was fibers and yarns, which is how we work. And they needed to fit into the supply chain and offset, if not rectify, the plethora of issues that kind of legacy materials have. So we were really looking at it from... Um, you know, just from an analysis perspective, what what do we need? What could I do to get my company to move the needle? Uh, and what are the parameters that are required? And so through that, we knew we needed to go fast. We know it needs to be available. We know, you know, we can, 
you know, only innovate so much in order for us to hit those marks and still retain the kind of cost benefits of other fibers. Um, and so with that, it really narrowed our focus to the ocean. Uh, and from there, what is, what is available? What's being harvested? What polymers or resources do we have access to today that we don't need to establish and, and spend billions of dollars to create? Um, and so that kind of led us to a lot of experimentation, a lot of, you know, rudimentary, I guess, uh, studio experiments with various resources um, and found that we were able to kind of mimic um, certain types of fiber manufacturing with this polymer that we bought off the shelf that's, that's derived from kelp. Um, at that time, you know, it was very much like ramen noodles. Honestly, it was uh, pretty basic, but we ended up entering and winning um, a competition called the Biodesign Challenge back in 2016. Um, and from there, you know, won a couple of small grants, continued our work, you know, nights and weekends because it was fun. Um, but then we started getting outreach from some of the world's biggest brands. I mean, you know, quite small number at the time, but we realized that if the most powerful billion, if not trillion dollar companies were reaching out to these Dang. students exploring in their, you know, design studios <laughs> that. That's both a I good think, thing and kind of a depressing thing at the same yeah, time, isn't it? It's like, we know, got no was, better ideas. <laughs> are you even working on this? We are not. <laughs> Let's just we have dedicated zero time and resources to this. Do you got we an have, idea? We have endless, <laughs> endless resources, billions of dollars to spend. But you guys that just won five thousand dollars, yeah, you you're the expert. Like you could do this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it really brought to light the severity of the issue and mm. the demand. And so, you know, from there we were you know, really consider how can we take this more seriously? And, you know, that led us to, you know, again, applying for a number of grants. And, and we ended up applying for an accelerator in London, actually. And we're originally from New York, uh, Alex, Aaron, and myself. And so we had a decision to make of, okay, do we all quit our jobs and our careers, move to London, do this thing that who knows if it's going to work out or not and see what happens. And really there was only one right answer to that, which was yes. Uh, and from there, you know, it's been about four and a half years um, and certainly a crazy journey, but I'm glad that we took that leap of faith and, and really committed to this. That's awesome. So how long were you in the UK for? Um, about four or five months. Um, okay. yeah, so we, we participated in Rebel Bio again, which is in London. And then towards the end of that curriculum, um, we also entered kind of like a part-time accelerator called Fashion for Good, uh, in Amsterdam. And, uh, during that time, which was, you know, later 2018, we also got approached by, you know, our first or I guess our second investor, but to fund our 
seed round, uh, which was Horizons Ventures. And that really allowed us to take things to the next level, hire critical scientists and uh, experts in the field and, yeah, take the next steps. So how did you end up going to North Carolina then, coming yeah. by way of London yeah. I mean, from New York? It was certainly a highly analyzed decision. And I think, you know, as we were in London and, you know, when we moved back to New York as well, which is always my heart. I love New York forever. Um, but we, we recognized that it probably wouldn't be the right place to scale. I mean, not only is real estate astronomically expensive, but, you know, the infrastructure that we need also is quite challenging to get there. I mean, it's such a larger tech and, and pharmaceutical focus. And when we're thinking about both space and, you know, the expertise required, North Carolina was, I mean, like such an obvious ideal, not only with the research triangle and the universities where you have historical and contemporary focuses on textiles and innovation, but you also have, you know, the, you know, extremely expansive uh, scientific community, business community, um, anything happening in textiles really is happening in North Carolina with a little sprinkling in South Carolina. Mm. Um, and so rather that. than not only having to move everyone that we were hiring to New York and also not be able to expand our space, we figured let's go to where the resources is resources are. Let's go to where the talent is. Um, and I think it's the best decision we've ever made. It's fantastic here. Wow. Great. So no regrets. That's awesome. No regrets ever. No regrets ever. That's a good motto. <laughs> well, I, there's one thing that you should probably regret though. So you were studying, you wanted to be in the fashion world. You were studying fashion, you were studying textiles. And some part of you noticed that the industry had problems. Some part of you noticed that, that, that it was unsustainable at that time, mm -hmm. even though you never set out to be an entrepreneur. See, that was your first mistake. Your first mistake was noticing that it was unsustainable. What you should have done is just not notice that, continued with the status quo, and then yeah. just been blissfully unaware for the rest of your career. So surely yeah, you must absolutely. regret that. I mean, it does sound like the easier decision, and you're absolutely right. right. I should never have, none of us should ever notice the problems no. that are, you know, facing us. there aren't any. Places. They're all made up, so. Yeah, much easier to just push that subconscious To just voice bury that voice deep, deep down, get a few decades under your belt, and then maybe on yeah. your deathbed have some regrets about something, but that... At least that's my plan anyways. That's what I'm Yeah, I mean, it for. seems like you're really doing a fantastic job of that. You're Thank definitely you. not facing it head on right now. Thank you. Now. No, not at all. No, <laughs> so you've decided to make your life easy by going against the grain of a massive industry, a multi-billion, yeah. multi-trillion, God only knows how big the industry actually is. And lo and behold, they take interest in what you're doing. And lo and behold, you get funding for what you're doing. And suddenly this passion project turns into a viable business and you're thrown into this with, it seems like, two other co-founders. So how has that whirlwind been the last four years? Has it been positive? Has it been scary? What kind of things have you experienced so far? Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I've, I've probably experienced every emotion, the entire spectrum of emotions throughout this yeah. journey. Um 
it is, you know, it is a lot and uh, certainly not an easy mentality to have, as you're saying, to go up against, you know, I think one of the largest industries on the planet and, and try to get them to do the right thing and, and to make a change and, you know, also take both leaps of faith and action uh, and responsibility to their supply chains. Um, but I would say it's been, I would say it's been, you know, one of the most exciting, inspiring, you know, ambitious times of my life. And I can't ever imagine doing anything else at this point. Um, certainly there's a lot of challenges and it's, and it's not easy, but the reward is so high. I mean, even just to be able to build a team and a space where people can come to work and know that they're contributing to something greater than, than, you know, what they are in their silos or, you know, what might be happening and in, in more niche or, or, you know, standard commercial operations. And so to that degree, I think, I mean, I just feel really grateful above everything else. That's so cool. And for those who are wondering about the process, so you mentioned it's a polymer that's derived from kelp. And in order to do this at scale, we would need to plant more kelp, create more kelp in the ocean, which is itself a positive thing because kelp has all kinds of positive benefits for what sequestering carbon dioxide, various other good things for our oceans. Yeah. Do you think knowing what you know now that it is scalable is this just one of many solutions or could this truly be a fiber that replaces plastics and other microfibers yeah. in general in, in an industry that large? Yeah. I mean, I would say yes to all of the above in that, you know, A, we, we chose this resource not only as you eloquently listed out for the, the plethora of benefits that it provides, but also for the fact that it is currently, you know, being harvested and extracted uh, globally, and it's a massive existing supply chain. So yes, it's available. And yes, we do intend to be a part of its expansion and to promote, um, you know, increased growth and harvesting and not only with the companies and facilities, but also, you know, ideally with the, the positives that we're seeing in, in global uh, legislature as well. That being said, you know, I, I think that, and I, and I truly hope that we're one of many solutions. Um, you know, one of the issues or one of the largest issues that I think that has contributed to bring us to this very dramatic point that we are today, um, climate wise and, and pollution wise is that we're just focused on single solutions or single products. You have polyester or you have cotton or you have nylon or wool, whatever that may be. And because of that, you know, you're, you're just draining those resources so dramatically. And for us, although, you know, we certainly see ourselves as becoming a predominant replacement and addition to the multitude of fibers that are out there, we by no means can or should be the, you know, ubiquitous solution for, for everything. We really want to 
and intend to promote, you know, other companies, other initiatives, other solutions for us to diversify the offering. And it's such a big space and there's so much room. But I think that truly when we're looking at what will move the needle around long term, you know, positive outcomes within our supply chains, it's all about diversification in every single way, shape or form. Well, it's often been said that we're at a moment of peak greenwashing. That's a term that's been thrown around a lot, that it's more about the appearance for many companies of doing something versus actually doing something. Yeah. And that's something that I struggle with on the show as well, because I interview people. But at the end of the day, people can, to borrow a pun related to the show, spin a good yarn about what they're doing, not necessarily yeah. putting their action where their words are. And that's something that I think all of us have to struggle with is what is just flattery? What is just somebody saying what we want to hear and who is actually taking action on these things? Do you think that these companies will actually strive to take action on these things? Or is it really just, oh, we're just going to give the illusion of doing this, whereas really 99% of all of our work will be business as usual? You know, I think that on a side tangential note on greenwashing, I'm, there's good and bad to it. Um, you know, on, on one side... Obviously, not being transparent or genuine about your actions or the implications of them is never good. However, the fact that we're even talking about any of these issues or that it's being talked about and becoming a part of, you know, the, the global conversation, I think is also really important, which isn't to say that anybody, you know, should be using it as a marketing tool and not backing up their actions. But... I would rather see some conversation over no conversation and no action. Um, but to go back to your uh, initial question, I do think, you know, for a while, especially companies saw it much more of a as a as a marketing tool, and they will continue to do that for a time. Uh, however, I mean, we're even now seeing, and, and over the last couple of years. Um, an instability in the supply chain, uh, especially when it comes to natural materials. And so the effects of, of climate change obviously have an effect on agriculture and production and accessibility. And so what I think was kind of sought out as, as you're saying, a bit of a marketing tool is now becoming an increasing business mandate that if these companies do not make a change, do not diversify their supply chains, don't change the raw materials that they're working with, they literally will not have access to the materials that make their products for them to continue, you know, base level production and sales in their businesses. So I think that that is becoming um, much more notable in the industry. Um, and... I think there's a bit of desperation there in a way. And perhaps rightly so. <laughs> Maybe I mean, that desperation. So. I mean, <laughs> to have, you know, taken these dramatic effects, but, you know, I, I think it's a challenge and I think it will take time. And, you know, the way I see it is there's the future is, of course, a long timeline. And we have the ideal future that we know we need to live in and that we need to be in. And we have today and the reality of the business models that we currently have, um, just as especially as capitalist societies and 
um, as we continue forward, I think there really needs to be a transition in the way that we think about not just our business models, but our economics, our consumption. And, and that's really requires the participation of all contributors to the value chain from innovators to suppliers, manufacturers, to brands, to consumers, to governments. Um, but that's really going to take time. That's that's very true. And I've actually mentioned this, I think, the last two episodes. So if anybody's watched the last two, I'm apologizing in advance for referencing this book <laughs> three times now. <laughs> but I'm reading this book called Homo Deus, which is basically human as God and the next evolution uh, from Yuval Narari. Very interesting book about predicting the future oh, of humans. This was the second uh, after Sapiens, from right? Sapiens, yeah. So yeah. I love people who even take a wild random shot at the dark and predicting the future, even if it's wrong. I enjoy thinking about it. And one of the yeah. things he argues is that human beings are on the precipice of being greater than the traditional gods of yesteryear. Think Greek gods whom were immortal, but could also be killed. That's a model for what humans will likely be in the future. We may not, we may live to be hundreds of years old, but you could still be killed. Uh, and he, he talks at great length about another model for, I think Sumerian gods are corporations are essentially a God as it was classically defined, in the sense that a corporation can be immortal. Um, a corporation as it exists is an entity that we imagine in our head. And he makes this comparison about a corporation being a version of ancient gods, uh, or even pharaohs being very similar to what a corporation has become, these, this thing that can just live forever. If the CEO dies, the corporation lives on. If all of the staff die or are fired, the corporation lives on. So then, of course, the question is, is it a just God or an unjust God? Is it a trickster God? Like, What kind of God are we building? And in that model, it's easy to see how if AI wants to take over humanity, all they need to do is just become a corporation because you can't kill it. So it's when I think about that. You talk about the changing of of the models, which I completely agree with, because we have seen the limits of capitalism as it has been performed. We need better business models. We need better uh, ways of governing these structures that are limitless and boundless and with no cap on their growth or lifespan. So Mm. how do you see the future? What kind of things do you think would need to be there to change that aspect? Yeah, that's a... That's a challenging question, but I think, uh, and I'm a little bit of a broken record on this because I I just feel so strongly about it, but, you know, I think that for that ideal future to come to fruition, it truly needs to involve the collaboration and proactive action by every single person that touches on production and consumption and, you know, everything contributing to it, and that those intentions need to be aligned. Um, And I think that that's, you know, right now what what you're seeing, as we were talking about before, in in greenwashing. And why that's coming up is that we're not actually all aligned. We're trying to touch on the demands of consumers or, you know, touch on what's being asked without truly committing to the importance of, uh, for lack of a better word, sustainable action and and implementation. So I think that it's truly collaborative uh, and we all need to be investing in it. I can't move the world myself and even a corporation can't move the world themselves. 
Nor, neither can their suppliers, neither can a single consumer. And so in order for that change to happen, we all need to say, okay, we actually all do want this. And this is what we're going to do about it. And this is how we're going to talk about it. And these are the implications. Um, rather than kind of trying to tiptoe around it and, again, not follow through with your transparent communication. Well, one of the things that I really enjoy most, especially about a story like yours, is because it's great to hear about a story where somebody started in one thing and then switched over to another thing. Because that is, to me, the most inspiring thing. Somebody who grew up with their priorities straight is also very inspiring. But I think it's more inspiring when somebody makes a transition in their life especially towards something positive, because at the end of the day, it's that old cliche, if we could just get one person to do that, it will all have been worth it kind of thing. So now that you find yourself on a very different trajectory than you thought you would have been on even six years ago, how does it feel on the other side? That's a very good question. I hadn't considered that before. Um, To be honest, it feels really good. It feels really empowering. And, you know, as mentioning before, it's extremely challenging, but I'm a very action oriented, uh, change positive type of person. Uh, so for me, it's, it's extremely rewarding to be able to see something I want to do, take action on it and be able to build something greater. And I don't think I don't think I ever would have truly been satisfied with the trajectory that I might have previously expected if I wasn't able to make a change in some way, shape, or form. And then I guess the question is, what is enough of a change for an individual, for a business? Because we all have to draw the line somewhere. You said quite rightly that we can't change everything on our own. Even a giant corporation can't change everything on their own. So what little tiny thing can we do as individuals, as business owners, as people? Uh, so how do we, you think we draw the line in terms of what we have to accept as our own efforts towards these things yeah. such that we can sleep well at night in the later years of our life? I think there's a spectrum for sure. And I think that it really is up to the individual in terms of how much participation you want to be having or you can be having. You know, not everybody has the resources to commit their lives to, uh, you know, changing something larger or, um, you know, put their bodies on the line in protests or, or whatever that may be. But I think that in a way, it really is about is there, is there one positive thing that you can contribute to the world, be that in your conversations and your actions? Um, or I think, you know, how do you, knowing that it's not your responsibility to fix the world's problems, but how do you show up every day in a way that you are proud of and that you know you were considerate about? Um, whether that's, you know, being more considerate about the produce that you're buying and and where you're buying that from. Are you contributing to your local economy? Are you avoiding packaging where where possible? Um, Do you bring your own bags to the store? Are you, you know, thinking about the waste products that that you're using? And although 
you know, you're not banging on the doors of congresspeople and, and of corporations, not only does that have an effect on your local or local or regional or global circles that you run with um, and people seeing you lead by example, but also naturally that also has an effect on the businesses that you're supporting. And I think that that's really key um, because if you decide, let's say, to, um, I don't know, buy, um, buy some broccoli from your farmer down the road versus from the Walmart, that money and infrastructure and, and beneficial agriculture or, you know, production is getting supported in a way that they wouldn't if you didn't do that. So I think it just being more intentional and, and showing up in the way that you're, you're proud of the decisions that you've made. That makes sense. And then just drawing the line for what you think you can reasonably yeah. do. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, the, the power both economically and uh, vocally or, or even with your communities obviously fluctuates from, from person to person. Um, and I think it's about working within your means and thinking about your own personal sustainability and longevity. Are you, are you operating in a way where you're going to continuously be able to function in that manner with joy and with pride, uh, not just for a couple of weeks, but for the rest of your life? Uh, and whatever that means for every individual, I think is, is really different. And some people are touched to try to do more, but also it feels like you were both pushed and pulled into this new reality. It does kind of seem like part of it was by design, but part of it also sort of just appears to have just happened. Like you said, you, you wound up going to these accelerators and then suddenly somebody says, hey, we want to invest. And then you're confronted with, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> How far yeah. am I willing to take this thing? How big can it go? Suddenly your concept of what's possible must have expanded dramatically overnight. If I'm reading it right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really has transformed and transitioned into uh, an initiative that I think is much, much greater, not only from when we started, but I think, um, you know, environmentally, there's obviously much greater demand. And so for us, we are extremely fortunate. You know, we happen to be in one of the largest cities in the world. We happen to have access to this competition. We were fortunate enough that we were able to quit our jobs and, and move internationally. Um, but certainly that's, that's a unique position and, and timing and certainly don't want to, don't want to take that for granted. And I think that there's so many other both up and coming or continuous or existing innovations that, also are going to change the world and also require so much support and, and attention. And so, you know, even being able to participate alongside or, or support anyone else to me is, is a massive privilege. So talk to me about the origin of the new name of Keel Labs, of Kelsun, your flagship yarn product. Is it yarn? How would I address? Yeah, so it is, it is yarn. So uh, we were really excited to launch our new brand. So transition from AlgaeNet to uh, Keel Labs, which functions as the parent company and platform 
where we're able to think about innovation in a greater sense. So rather than kind of your, your name literally pigeonholing you into both a product and a source, but how do we participate in these much larger, more complex conversations? Think about innovation and adaptation um, in a continuous sense, um, while also being able to develop and launch products like Kelson, as you were saying, which is a, a fiber and a yarn that then gets you know knit or, or woven into textiles or, or other products um, for the fashion industry, um, and and make sure again that diversification um, is always on our mind when it comes to not only our team and our work and and supply chains, but also in our products and the ways that we're thinking about innovation to its core. Um, and I think that that's something we, we want to make sure that we're not losing sight of. So what's the uh, significance or the symbolism of the name itself? The name is so dear to my heart. Uh, and I, I truly, uh, even just seeing it on the wall makes me so happy. Um, but we were able to work with Pentagram, um, which is super reputable, uh, branding branding agency um and after you know i want to say hundreds of names of development and thinking about you know all the ways that we feel and what we believe and how we want to show up uh landed on keel labs um for two reasons so one you have the keel which is um you know the the part of a ship that basically keeps it afloat and when we think about our role and responsibility in the world, we, our, our mission is truly to find that equilibrium, that balance that a keel creates in order to maintain, again, balance between not only the world, but you know, in particular our oceans and rectify that with man-made intervention. Uh, while also moving forward and being able to go at top speed. Um, so that was really critical um, in terms of how are we embodying who we are. And then the labs is really reflective on, again, innovation, um, making sure that we're always on the forefront of not only our industry, but, you know, this larger climate positive uh, landscape that we're working within so that we're able to react in a way that reflects the needs of consumers and, and of the world and really wanted to make sure that both of those identities were encapsulated. Um, and then when we have Kelson, uh, it actually is derived from um, a quite similar word that is the structure of the keel. Um, so the spine that allows the keel to have its uh, shape and, and structure. And so when we thought about our, our flagship product and our, and our first product, having that relationship directly with this equilibrium really inspired us. And, and I think we'll continue to do so. That's so cool. I love stories like that. I knew there was something. I mean, you can read it, but it's also different when you say it with your own words. Because I could yeah, tell that there was absolutely. personal significance I mean, I there. And you borrowed the quote really from Walt Whitman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very exciting. So in the last four years of doing this, 
What unexpected or unlikely discoveries have you made since taking this more seriously, since bringing on the scientists and the people who know more? Has there been anything that's really stood out as something that you couldn't have predicted five years ago? I mean, I, I have to say, I think every day in a way is a surprise. Um, not only as a startup, but also, you know, working at this intersection of innovation and uh, climate change and, and sourcing. Uh, it's, it's really hard to predict what things are going to come up from day to day. Um, but I would say what's really been a, I mean, such a pleasant surprise is the amount of support that we've gotten and that we continue to receive. Um, I never would have expected that. I mean, not only from the team that's here day to day working super hard, dedicating their lives uh, to something that, you know, is focused on that in innovation and, and exploration and a lot of challenges. And then, you know, also outside from, you know, your day-to-day -day people, <laughs> populations, whatever, all over the world that have, you know, reached out and, and offered their support and offered their kindness. And, you know, although I'm not surprised that humans have that capacity, I'm surprised and delighted and, and grateful that that we get a little bit of that. And mm -hmm. and it I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that it would have been to the degree that we're that we're seeing. And again, I think it just goes back to that gratitude and, and surprise. Well, certainly in a world where everything is so politicized and where we've come to associate online forums with just hate and bigotry and nastiness and in the wake of this whole Twitter deal. Just we've come to expect nothing but the worst from the world that exists on the Internet, I feel, because so much of it is what you say. I have a great idea. And then just 50 comments slamming you for political reasons. Right. So we've come to our, our expectations for what we get back from that vast machine are, I think, pretty low. But at its core, there is still that element of, yes, but you can reach like-minded people. It is possible, and they are out there somewhere. Whether they're the majority or not, that's debatable. But they're, they're out there, and they exist. And it is important to be a beacon of light, as it were, for such communities so that people know that other people are out there who feel that way. That's the way I see it. Because otherwise, yeah. nobody knows. And then it's yeah. even more lonely. It's better for me to know that you're out there working hard and people like you're out there working hard than for me to believe, oh, really, nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, likewise, absolutely. It would. I, I couldn't imagine a world where we, you know, we're not just up against the, the challenges of the industry, but also every other person out there that there was nobody else that was also... Uh, attacking this and, and working on it and, and talking about it. But I think, you know, especially when it comes to how you're interacting, that, you know, you, I think it's, it, it could be easy to be jaded um, and to take a really pessimistic look. And I think, which is, which is fair, you know, a lot of companies are really tackling the, the real genuinely scary and, and horrible nature of, of what's going on and um and rightly so you know i think it is scary and it makes you feel afraid and there's so many things around that 
But I don't think, or at least the way that I personally feel is it's hard to act when you're afraid uh, versus when you feel, as you're saying, that sense of community, that sense of collaboration, positivity, you can take one step in the right direction and things can change. Um, And I would rather see and engage uh, in a way that promotes positivity and, and, you know, forward momentum, then, you know, be paralyzed by fear or of, you know, hate or, or whatever's kind of getting put out there by, by so many people that I also think just get a lot of the attention. There's a lot of good people out there. And I would say, true. everybody, everybody has the capacity for it. I think, I think you're right about that. And I, uh, well, okay, to what degree then is that support something that helps you keep going on those tough days, knowing that you have the support of your community and the people that you didn't expect? Does that help you push through when it's difficult? Oh, absolutely. Um, And I think that that's really the, the backbone of it. I mean, not only, you know, is this a, a personal mission, but knowing that not only do we have the support, but also, you know, the, the necessity to keep going, to really create solutions that work for everybody um, and that are of the utmost accessibility. And, you know, not to mention, I think, displaying transparency and knowing that, you know, both myself personally and the company as a whole has a community to rely on when there are challenges, when there are asks, when there are are things that, you know, um, need support with, we know that we have that. And I don't think that we'd ever be able to do this alone. Um, yeah, that's, that's not even a question. Have you ever seen the movie Gandhi, or are you familiar with Gandhi's life story? I am familiar with Gandhi. I have yeah. heard of that name. <laughs> His life story. Have you heard well, of this guy? <laughs> It's crazy. It it's a crazy story. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Uh, but in the movie Gandhi with Ben Kingsley and the story about his life, I, I find the the arc of somebody who's a true challenger to be a very fascinating one. Somebody who goes against the grain in very public ways. Because there's this period where nobody understands, and then there's a period where everybody understands. I mean, remember, Ga- Gandhi was murdered at the end of it all. After his... But I just find the way that these movements happen and the way that it takes shape is just so fascinating to me. How in the beginning, nobody is with it, but then everybody understands. And then there are still people. Anytime you're trying to change something that's happening in the world, this whole very bizarre dynamic comes into play. And I just find it very fascinating, like how these movements take shape and where they go. And in the case of Gandhi, he says, like, peace, 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 peace. And then 30 years into his career, the people around him are saying, death to Muslims. And he's like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I never said that. That's not what I was talking about. I was talking about peace the whole time. But somehow these things, it's just so hard to contain these movies. When things get bigger, it's hard to contain. It's hard to know where they're going to go. But as an individual, it's like, when are you on the bleeding edge of something that's bigger to come? When are you just isolated? When are you on your own? These are questions that I feel that great people have had to deal with throughout history. And it's just something that I find very fascinating in general. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting thought. I mean, you know, I, I think as you're saying, you know, it really is a cyclical nature when it comes to change. And people, 
in general, inherently and, and evolutionarily, rightfully so, are can be really afraid of change. It's scary. It's uprooting your way of life, your security, your uh, you know way of being, which can be really scary for a lot of people in big or small ways. And so resistance is certainly to be expected. Oh my gosh, I sound like a military leader. <laughs> resistance is to be resistance expected. Resistance is to be expected. Crush all infidels. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, no, but I, you know, I think that, you know, we certainly could not and would not have gotten here if there were not so many others that were working towards this and, you know, uh, both business-wise and locally and, and legislatively, uh, highlighting these requirements and starting companies that were doing incredible things and that have been around, you know, for the last 10, 20, 30 That's years. True. Um, That's and true. And really paved the way. So, Absolutely. Although we have a lot of, a lot further on our, uh, climb up this this mountain. Um, I think that we were put in such a higher position because of what I would imagine are even greater struggles from people and and companies that had to set this entire foundation, and and some of them had okay. to do it alone. And we're getting to a point where You're it's absolutely right. Easier, I, I don't but, think about that very often, but. Yeah. Yeah. The, standing on the shoulders of giants, as it were. And what comes to mind is there was this one natural organic food store in my times from rural suburban America, the middle of the country, in all ways, politically and mentally. Things have changed. But part of Colorado, Colorado has changed dramatically a lot. But growing up as a kid, it was yeah. very different than the Colorado of today. And in this little neighborhood, there was one place It was called Wild Oats and it was a natural organic food store. The only thing of its kind, everything else was just straight up the middle of the road. I mean, you'd be more likely to go to Dunkin' Donuts than than anything else. Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, yeah. all chains or regular grocery stores. And I just remember the way that the many of the normal, the, the predominant viewpoint on this store was of hatred and making fun of it. Maybe not hatred, but just making fun of it as that weird place yeah. where weird people go. And yeah, I would listen that, to like, those people oh, if they didn't look so weird going into it. Yeah. Right. And then when I remember that and how relatively recent that was, you think, my God, what a hard time they must have had. And yet they were right. They were definitely on the right track. But yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, nobody else could see it. So how brave did they have to be to stick to their guns and say, we believe in this even without yeah. the community support, without the people embracing And of course they survived to a degree, but it wasn't yeah, as good as it I could mean, or should have been. That's for sure. I mean, absolutely. And especially in that, you know, the, the, I guess the food system world or the, the food space, um, the food system world. I don't know what I'm saying. The, the food space. I like it. You food know, you have my new company. insane trajectory and wave and, and change. You've seen change over the last 10 years from, again, what, you know, was previously called, I don't know, I feel like it's like, oh, it's crunchy, you know, whatever that may be. To now, you know, everybody and their mother is aware and, you know, in some way participating in, the alternative meat space in 
what does organic mean in local produce? And although I'm sure it took decades to happen, the fact that we were able to experience that in a single lifetime, in a single decade, is magnificent. And I think that, again, that speed of change hopefully will um, only exacerbate and uh, expedite in other industries because we're able to do it and it's not so scary but those people that laid the groundwork I can only imagine I mean the ridicule the pushback um, it's it's incredible those people are, are so strong what I love is the idea of a future where you switch things out and it's not a big deal like if I buy a, a shirt do I really care? I just care about having a shirt. I don't care what it's made of at the end of the day. Now, I care about certain properties of how it's made. I care whether I can wash it. I care whether it's durable, whether it gets holes in it. But at the end of the day, it is just a shirt. It is not the yarn or the fabric or whatever that it's made of. So it's easy to envision a future where we say, okay, shirts are just globally made from something else other mm-hmm. than microfibers, which is a whole nother problem that we've discussed with some guests on this show. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I love about solutions like yours because they just seamlessly integrate. And at the end of the day, if somebody buys a shirt, if you didn't say a word about what was in the shirt, if a shirt is a shirt and the price is the same, somebody will buy it, somebody will wear it unless it's itchy. I mean, it's those things that matter more. So yeah. that's what I like about these types of ideas. They just, it's pushing things forward in ways that aren't even necessarily perceptible to the average person, but yet are a change under the surface. Because again, I don't think the average person is is aware of what's happening in the fashion industry as a general rule. Uh, I don't think they know that. Yeah. But you know, what do you, well, what do you think in the next five, 10 years we could realistically see, like, where will your tech be? What would be a best case future five yeah. to 10 years of Kiel labs? Yeah. I think that you, you know, I actually spoke to that quite well, which is, you know, in in the next 10 years and and my, you know, my real dream within this is that, um, you know, an average person goes into their closet and if told or, or asked to look at the materials labels, they would be shocked and delighted uh, how much of that is um, from seaweeds and from aquaculture and from sources that they, you know, know are having a, a positive uh, impact on the environment and that it's, it's diversified. Um, and ideally that none of that is uh, either shedding microplastics or leading to pesticide use and land degradation. Um, and I think it's that idea of not having to know and not having to go out of your way to make a good choice. Ideally, everything on the shelf in every store should not be harming the planet. Uh, and you shouldn't have to search that out. Um, so that's my, yeah, that's, that's my yes. ideal world. And I think, I think I we are it. getting closer to that, both through our work and, and so much of what you know, so many others are doing too. A world where you're pleasantly surprised instead of just perpetually shocked and horrified. <laughs> where you just, the items yeah. around you, you look into That's their a- origin and you're happy. 
and you say, yeah. hey, that's cool. This as of today, it's not contributing. This shirt is. I mean, I think as of today, if you were asked someone to do that, uh, maybe a very interesting poll in data collection. Uh, if anyone wants to do it, you should go for it. Um, but to you know, yeah, ask right. someone today, just on the street, to go into their closet and, and see what's in there, I think that that would be, you know, a, a pretty negative shock, um, especially if you don't know the yeah. implications of, of what's happening with those materials. So you could come right. back to that when same person and do the same thing. That's that's success. Well, that's a great vision of it. Um, and again, I can't thank you enough for your time and joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I think it's a fabulous concept. I'm, you know, congratulations on the rebrand. Congratulations on the interest and the community and the support that you've been able to build. Well deserved. Very cool. Very exciting. I'm so glad that you have found your personal path on this. I'm so glad that the last four years have been so transformative for you and for your mission. And I hope that the next 10, 15 is just a constant awakening and a broadening and an exploration of these ideas that you are now on the cusp of bringing into the world really in a much more meaningful way, it seems like. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I'm really grateful for the support that you've given as well. And, you know, even just be able to have this conversation. It's really been a pleasure. I could keep going for hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except we'll I also know that you're the owner of a company. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just If I ever make it out to North Carolina, we'll continue. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah right. You don't have much. It. It's just a Monday morning. Yeah, no problem. That would be cool. Um, but no, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so where can people support you? Close us out here. Yeah. So, um, please feel free to, uh, follow us on Instagram, um, on Twitter on, on TikTok. Um, and also feel free to send a message. We're always here to hear from everyone and, and definitely want to connect. So check us out, sign up for our newsletter, um, stay in touch. Sounds good. Well, thank you again. And with that, the official podcast is over.